Hi guys, I'm Laura. And I'm Vanessa. And welcome to another episode of the Tap on the Wrist podcast. Episode, oh my gosh, I just blanked out. What episode are we on? 128. 128, woo! (laughs) (laughs) We are coming to a close on this season, actually. We only will have a couple more episodes after this, uh, which is sad but exciting because it'll be nice to take a break and just kind of refresh uh, and start on a new topic, uh, which we will announce soon. Uh, But, you know, we're excited to explore, I guess, including this episode, three more countries with you guys. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, we did some exploring of our neighborhood this weekend. Oh, yes. Yes, we did. We went to a new-ish restaurant. It's new, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Citrico? Citrica. Yes. Co. I forget which one it was. Co. Citrico. <laughs> we just went over this before the intro and I somehow forgot. Uh, but I was really excited because I got a guacarita, which was an avocado margarita. And I love avocado margaritas. Uh, the first one I ever had was in Disney. But this one was definitely uh, fancier. <laughs> Well, and I've made them at home before. I know it mm-hmm. sounds weird, everybody. Like the idea of putting avocado with tequila and triple sec and all the other things that make a margarita a margarita, but it makes it so creamy. Yes. And I guess avocado is a fruit, right? Right? I mean, it has a seed. Yeah, I think it's considered a fruit. I sound stupid right now, probably. But um, but I think it is. So, like, you know, technically it kind of fits, right? Because margaritas are made with different types of fruit. Um, but it is so good. I think the, the one weirdest... You... Oh, go ahead. I think I was going to say, I think the weirdest part about the one that I got, the guacarita, was that they topped it with cilantro, uh, which I've had, like, I, like we said, we've had them before, but I've never had it topped with cilantro. Uh, so Laura didn't want to try it because she doesn't like cilantro. <laughs> right. And you also, they put a kick into it because they made it, it was actually called the guacarita. Yes. So it was so like it avocado and chili. It didn't have tomatoes in it though, did it? No, no, it did not. But, um, so it was a little spicy and then it had like yes. a spicy rim. Every time I've made it, it hasn't. I haven't gotten like that sweeter. spicy. It's been sweeter. Yeah. But I think both ways, they're great. The avocado just adds, like, a good texture yeah, it's the to the cocktail. Um, I really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it as a sweet cocktail, and I enjoyed it as this, like, spicier, more savory version. Um, which is actually funny because we've been talking about one of the, the best bars in the world, or New York's best bar, is a bar called Double Chicken Please, which is all food-based cocktails. And uh, we were talking about going, I'm hesitant, but considering it's rated so highly, it must be good. (laughs) Okay, but like, we're not talking like food, like, yes, a guacarita sounds scary, but like, cold pizza cocktail sounds really freaking scary. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But uh, hopefully we can go try it and report back. 
uh, in, in a future episode because I'm intrigued and scared at the same time. Well, because they have one that's like, I think they have like a chicken sandwich cocktail. They have a salad cocktail. Like they have some wild cocktails, which I'm always down to try something experimental. But then for them to be ranked number one in New York City, number six in the world, it has to be a good cocktail. Yeah. Japanese cold noodle. Like, yeah. what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Red eye gravy. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, there's like, there's like French toast and key lime pie, I feel like would both be delicious, right? But it's like the savory cocktails that seem so strange to me, but... I feel like I'd have to I'd have to get one of these. I'd have to like get cold pizza or you know like just to know what it tasted like. Here's the thing. We've got to get a group big enough who are all adventurous drinkers mm-hmm. so that we can like get four or five different right and then and like try sam- them. like take sips of each one. Yeah. Yes. Um so I have a couple people in mind who would be down for this. Okay. And then we like plan it because if it's just the two of us, we're only yeah. really trying four cocktails. Like if we each got right. two, right? You're right. We do need we need to because like yeah, <laughs> I like I want to try the French toast and key lime pie. They sound delicious, but I feel like I have to try cold pizza and New York beet salad just because and Japanese cold noodle just because they're so out there. Like I need to know what they taste like. And, you know, I have to say, some of the cocktails that stay lingering in my mind are ones that use those obscure ingredients. I will forever remember the arugula cocktail that we had. Yes. That was so good. It was so out there. So I am down to try an experimental cocktail. If you live in New York or you are visiting New York, try and get reservations at Double Chicken, please, and report back. We have not been there. This is not an ad. We just need to know if we should go. Yes. I mean, we will go. Yes. But we would like to know if other people support that decision. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen it on TikTok, so I feel like people are supporting it. Yeah. All right. Well, this week we are not in New York trying cocktails. We are going to Argentina. I love that we're going to South America. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say this was Laura's pick. Uh, For our last couple of episodes, Laura picked a country and then for our next episode, I picked a country uh, and then we're going to do something fun for the for the last episode of the season. But Laura was pretty pumped about South America, as she said. (laughs) So if you are not following us on social media, make sure you are checking us out. We're going to post pictures from this week's episode. And do we have a picture of your guacarita? Yes. Okay, we'll post pictures from our guacarita as well. Uh, so you can follow us on Instagram at a tap on the wrist. And if you have any ideas for future seasons, if you go to double chicken, please, uh, or try any cool cocktails, you can send us an email at tap on the wrist podcast at gmail.com. And uh, here we go to Argentina. Okay. In the middle of a bustling metropolitan major city like Buenos Aires, Argentina, And I have a really hard time not saying it with, like, a Spanish accent. I don't know why that city. I want want to say, like, Buenos Aires. I do, too. Which is how you say it. 
Every time I like read my story to myself to like edit it, I was like, Buenos Aires. And I'm like, I should just say it the, like the white person way. I know. There's but a I like couple, keep doing it. There's a couple of words. And I think it's because I did take Spanish in high school uh -huh. and I grew up in Florida. And so many of my students are Spanish that like there are certain words I know the correct pronunciation. Yeah. I just have such a white accent. Yeah. And so instead of... It's probably going to happen a couple times, so I apologize now. <laughs> um, I'm going to just flip-flop back and forth between my Spanglish. Um, okay. So in this bustling city that has a population of 15 million people, you can imagine that there is a large amount of cafes, bars, and restaurants. Yes. However, if you do a little bit of searching and you make a few turns off the normal tourist paths, you will find yourself surrounded by multiple cafes and bars that have officially been given the title of the Notables. Okay. I know. And, like, in my opinion... That sounds cool. <laughs> it sounds better than just being regular. Yeah. Um, it sounds like, like a secret club. It, I, it kind of is. So, however, a notable cafe or bar, which are kind of used interchangeably, some of my sources called them, uh, like, in Spanish, like, notable bars, other call them notable cafes, mm -hmm. um, and they seem to kind of go from day to night. Okay. Like coffee shop cafes during the day, switching to more, like, tapas bars at night. I love that. Yes. I mean, why not get the morning crowd and the nightclub yes. crowd? Um, and so if you are given this title in Buenos Aires, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have the best food mm -hmm. or you are more superb than other bars and restaurants. There are many great bars and restaurants that don't have this title. Okay. It strictly means that somehow in the last 400 years that Buenos Aires has been a city, something significant has happened in this cafe or bar, mm -hmm. and they want to preserve the history. Oh, I like that. Yes. So, Buenos Aires was founded in the year 1536, and as one can imagine, in the last 450 years, um, they've had their ups and downs, mm -hmm. economic struggles, periods of turmoil, periods of great wealth and success, and all of those fluctuations come with changes in, you know, the people that move in and out, mm -hmm. the neighborhoods changing and flipping, and pieces of history get lost in all of that. Uh, and so what happened is the city, like the government noticed in, in like the mid-1990s, that a lot of the historical buildings and, like, charm of old Argentina were being torn down and, and being lost to, like, modern history. Yeah. And so, in 1998, the city's government passed a law to protect and preserve some of these historic landmarks. I actually um, really like that because I feel like there are a lot of um, places that, like, we've talked about on the podcast or that I've visited where you know, these notable <laughs> locations are just gone. Like, I mean, when we went to Chicago and the place where, you know, the um, 
Valentine's Day massacre occurred is just gone. It's like, just a parking lot. Yeah, you know, so I kind of appreciate, like, the government being like, nope, we're going to make sure that we preserve right. some of this history. Uh, and, yeah, I agree. It's why I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, it tends to, the title comes to uh, coffee houses, bars, and billiard halls. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that that location was always one of those things. Yeah. It just means that at some point in the history of that building... That structure that's there. Something happened. And to preserve it and keep it so Mm -hmm. that it can continue thriving, it can be turned into one of those three things and receive the title of a notable bar or cafe. Okay. Um, And so this historic and cultural significance could be... A gathering point for you know a political figure that happened it might have to do with the architectural design of the building um like there are lots of different reasons a bar could apply mm-hmm. for this title um and right now in the city of buenos aires there are about 80 establishments that hold that title right a notable bar or cafe also, I do want to say that Laura and I try to like tell each other kind of, <laughs> kind of like what we're doing, so that we don't do since we're doing it in the same place, we don't want to do the same thing. <laughs> so she texted me <laughs> up that she was going to do the notables, and she said, "Well, not all eighty-seven or whatever, just like, or not all eighty of them, just seven of them, or something yeah. like that." And I was <laughs> like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> And she was like, you'll, you'll understand tomorrow. Can <laughs> so you now imagine I, I was like, so I'm ranking them 1 to 87. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, friends. But I was like trying to, like, because I don't, I don't want to Google it, right? Because I want to be like, be surprised. So I was like, is it people? Is it like, I was trying to figure out what the notables <laughs> would be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I am going to take you on like a mini tour of like, some of the more famous ones, or okay. some, I, there are just a couple I found that I thought were cool, but there's, I think I only maybe read about 30 of them, and there's mm-hmm. 80 of them, so I'm sure there's probably even cooler ones that you missed. That I missed. Yeah. So, but you can buy like maps, and people go on like notable bar tours. Okay. Um, or cafe tours. Like, right. you know, you could do breakfast, lunch, dinner, and drinks at yeah. four different places. Right. Uh, okay. So, and I guess I also, like, I did mention that they are not always original bars or cafes, so I'm going to go into some of the history about them, but, like, sometimes they could have been, like, a former laundromat or a pharmacy or, you know, the the hotel lobby that a conversation took place yeah. that changed history, something like that. Okay, the first up is one that I just chose. I didn't see it on a ton of lists, but I liked it. Okay. It's called La Farmacia. Okay. And it is, as one can imagine, a former... Pharmacy. Pharmacy. (laughs) Uh, It has been a part of the Vidal family for generations. Um, In the year 2000, however, the youngest grandson of the original owner, uh, Lucas Vidal, decided to kind of reincarnate 
this pharmacy that had been shut down and gone defunct. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, I'm not going to reopen a pharmacy because there are more modern ways to get medicine. It's just not needed in the 2000s. Right. And he was like, but I want to honor my grandfather, um, which had opened the corner pharmacy in the year 1910. And it served this local neighborhood for multiple decades. Right. Um, and so the family had preserved a lot of like the original signage and everything. And in the same location that the pharmacy stood, he opened this cafe bar. Love it. And called it La Pharmacia. I think it's so cool when like a, like a bar used to be like a pharmacy or like some, like, I just think it's so cool. Yes. And when you go in, um, and a lot of these places are tiny and small. They're not, and I think that's what I love. They're like very much preserved in history and not pretentious and over the mm -hmm. top. They are in most cases where the locals go. Right. Um, which locals in Argentina call themselves porteños. Uh-huh. Uh, and so like if you are in Argentina and you hear like that phrase, uh -huh. that's like the place you want to go. Because okay. that's where the locals go. That's where the good stuff yeah. is. So when you walk into La Farmacia, it does have a beautiful deep wood bar, but the walls are adorned with like old pharmacy bottles, pill boxes. I fucking love that. Uh, it has the original pharmacy sign yeah. both outside and inside the bar. Um, and it is just a pair. It's like every review that I read on Yelp was like, it's a charming spot. I like to people watch. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, super local and friendly. And it's just like a chill spot to, yeah. like, have a drink, have a coffee, mm -hmm. and, like, be in this history, historic right. pharmacy. Um, and it happens to be in the neighborhood where Pope Francis grew up, which is okay. our, the current Pope. Yes. Um, he was born and raised in this neighborhood. So chances are he might have been to there. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. If you're a fan of the Pope. You... <laughs> I just, it, it was mentioned and I was like, okay, I'll talk yeah. about it. Uh, but I just liked that. I just think I would appreciate walking in. The pictures are very cool. Yeah. Which we will post pictures online, but, um, it just, I love the idea of it being like looking like an old pharmacy. I love that too. Okay. The next bar I want to mention, uh, is Bar de Cow. Uh, and this one I chose for the list because it is the oldest bar in Buenos Aires. Love it. Um, it has stood in the San Cristobal neighborhood for over 100 years. And when you walk inside, people say it's like walking into a time capsule. Love that, too. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, through many of its decades, it was a very popular, like, tango dancing bar. Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll still see at night, like, the sidewalk filled with people tango dancing. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and it's just a, a very popular, like, this one is a little bit more touristy because uh -huh. it is the oldest bar. Right. But it's just, you can go there and people will teach you how to tango and, like drinks and uh -huh. fun and it's just so far i'm in for yeah both of these all places, these are great i'm in um patrons like the local porteños will likely give you stories 
about like the athletes and celebrities that have visited or that grew up and have come by. And another reason I wanted to include this is because they're known for their picadas, which is their charcuterie boards. <laughs> charcuterie I boards. I love charcuterie boards. <laughs> yes. And so it's said that if you come in the evening and you, you know, get this beautiful board of meats and cheeses and pickles. Oh my God, now I want to go even more. And you can get like classic Argentinian cocktails or aperitifs. And it's just like tango dancing it. and it's just a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> it just sounds great. So uh, there's a drink that they're kind of known for. It's called a Hesperdina. It's a classic Argentine aspertif. That's what my story's about. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, well, then I won't. <laughs> but you can get them there. <laughs> okay, but so I'm going to let Vanessa tell us what it is later, but at Bar de Cow, you, you can, can get, get them. You can get them there. <laughs> uh, okay, so the next one is another one that is famous. There's actually a list of five of them, and I think I have four of them on my list. No, three. So when you Google notable bars, Argentina or Buenos Aires, mm -hmm. they, um, like I said, there are 87 of them, I think right now, but there are five that are owned by the same couple who have clearly made it their thing to buy like famous buildings and restore them. Uh -huh. And so those five tend to be more touristy okay. because they kind of, they don't gimmick it up. They really are historical and like, yeah, they are a vibe. But the one thing that's here and that I've read, like all five of them have the exact same menu mm -hmm. and like, like the decor is different, but so like if you've gone to one, you, don't really need to go to the others. Well, so. not if you're going for, like, food and drinks. Yeah. But if you want... They're all decorated differently and, like... They're all different are, vibes, but... Right. Yeah. But, uh... So, like, one couple, it's kind of, like, their thing. They uh -huh. own these five very famous... Okay. Notable bars. So, Bar de Cow is one. Um, this one, Cafe La Poesia, is the mm. second one um, that they own. And all five of them are beautiful corner buildings. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you look at the pictures, it's, like, they're just very, like, beautiful. Yeah. We're going to post pictures. Don't worry. Um, so, this bar was originally founded by a poet, writer, and journalist named Ruben Derlee. Um, and he, at the time, it was right after, like, the fall of communism in Argentina... He wanted a place where, like, intellectual people could sit and have intellectual conversations once again. Mm -hmm. And so he opened this, like, kind of literary haven cafe. Like it. I like yes. it. Yes. Uh, and it was super successful, but he closed it in 1988. Um, and the space kind of turned over many times, like, unsuccessful business after unsuccessful business. But then finally, this couple that I mentioned, Pablo Duran and Laura Caro, who run multiple successful bars, uh, reopened this spot, calling it the Cafe La Poesia in honor of the original poet uh -huh. in 2008. Um, and they returned the cafe bar to like the original literary haven it was. So when you walk in... The shelves are lined with, like, books and artifacts of all kinds of poets and literary, like, 
geniuses from Argentina. I like want to go to all these places. I know. They all sound like my vibe. I know. Um, the upstairs, because there is an upstairs to this one, mm -hmm. um, it's packed with black and white portraits of some of Buenos Aires's, uh, Bueno, Buenos Aires's most notable artists and literary figures. Um, so there's famous poets, yeah. artists, and writers. Um, I love, there are a few in New York, like a book-based bar. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, I'm a big book nerd, as is Laura, obviously, so that's just... It's just a good vibe. It is. When there are like books and literary memorabilia around. And so the pictures of this bar, it's very like black and white. Uh -huh. It's like checkered tile, but it's like clean and like yeah. elegant. Some of the other are a little bit like Bar de Cow is like kind of lively uh -huh. and like think tango dancing yeah. and dark lights and like, uh, and then um, the first one, La Farmacia is very like traditional dark wood paneling yeah pharmacy vibes okay so they're all a little different um and another thing while they do serve like the same food as the others of this restaurant they do bro brew their own beer at cafe La okay Boise. yeah so get some beer that yeah you can only get there yeah okay the next one this is the last one that is owned by this same couple and this i think might be the most famous okay um even though it is not the oldest bar in Buenos Aires, it is the second oldest bar in Buenos Aires. Again, it is a corner bar, um, and this one is called El Fed... I'm just going to say the English version. It's called the Federal Bar. Okay. El Federal. And wait, so this, com this couple owns the oldest and second oldest bars? Yes. Damn. Good for them. Yeah. Um, when it originally opened... Uh, in 1858, it mm. was a grocery store. Okay. Um, and then it was a brothel. Okay. It was also home to some organized crime rings in the 1900s. I feel like often brothels and organized crime rings go hand in hand, as yes. we learned in Chicago. Yes. Uh, and then sometime in the mid-1900s, it became a warehouse for some office buildings. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so this spot has witnessed like the city really transform. Right. Um, it survived the yellow fever epidemic, mm -hmm. um, and it has now been restored to like this late 1800s style cafe bar, and it has been used in many like Argentinian movies. Oh, cool. Uh, so I don't know the movies, but. Yeah. Like, I don't recognize them, I right. mean, so I didn't list them, because I don't think mm -hmm. many of our listeners are, like, up on their Argentinian cinema, but, um... It makes sense, though, right, if they, like, restored it to look the way it did back then, that it would be used for a lot of movies that, like, you know, take place in the past, or... Right. Yeah. So, and it's located in the San Telmo neighborhood, um, and people just say that, like, it is, like, the emblem of what that area would have looked like mm -hmm. during the time period which is super um, cool and it's just like an architectural like piece of history right like walking back 150 years in time um i do have a picture that i'm going to show you and i want you to describe it because okay. it's one of the reasons that so many people love this bar let's see if the picture here we go so this is what the bar looks like whoa it's like all wood. It almost reminds me of like 
an old train station clock in mm -hmm. the middle. It's like an ornate clock and it's like has an arch around it. And then there's just like a wall of alcohol. And stained glass. Yeah, stained glass in the arch. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah. So we'll post these pictures. And they have like an original antique cash register that mm -hmm. they used. It's just, again, like walking into a piece of yeah. history. It looks very like, yeah, what you would picture an old timey bar to look like. Yes. A classy old-timey bar, not like a saloon. Right. <laughs> okay. And then the last bar that I want to tell you about today uh, is called Los Galgos. Uh, and this building was bought and was first like a family home in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not located like in downtown Buenos Aires. It's actually right on the cusp, almost like in between the suburbs and the city. So it's kind of a pretty important intersection as people like made their way home or into the city. Uh, and in the 1920s, the building was converted into a Singer sewing factory. Okay. And then in the 1930s, it became its first version of a cafe or bar. So it was like a family home, then a Singer sewing factory, and then a bar. Okay. Um, Many lives. Yes. And... Throughout the 1900s, the Galgos family has kind of changed what they served. It's been a pizza shop for a little bit. It was a tango bar for a little bit. It was like a late night dive bar. Uh -huh. um, so it's it's been, it's seen everything. Yeah. Uh, and it actually eventually like closed down um, and the family like sold it and it was like kind of defunct and dilapidated. But in 2015, new owners bought the building and restored it to one of like, based on some pictures, one of the original bars, like what it would have looked like. Uh -huh. And they named it Los Galgos after the family that had owned it for so many generations. Uh -huh. uh, and the one thing that I thought was very cool and different about this place is they focus on vermouth like that is their thing interesting so it's like so many kinds of vermouth and like all their cocktails have vermouth they have like a vermouth happy hour it's called vermouth hour okay um and like i don't think i realized there were different types of vermouth well just... there they have <laughs> lots of uh and it's just i just like i said when i was doing research there are 87 bars I could have chose and I like picked this one the singer sewing singer sewing factory stood out to me but also just like having that niche of like yeah a vermouth bar yeah I've um, seen like mezcal bar tequila bar vermouth bar is not one I think I've ever come across right uh and there was a quote that I liked uh it said since December 1st of 2015 the bar has opened to keep alive a flame that um, called to open on that corner and to build a new stage and to make Los Galgos an authentic, notable, and memorable place. It's a bar that you choose, a bar that you always want to return to. Love that. I know. So when you visit uh -huh. Buenos Aires, there are much trendier bars and restaurants that are continuously opening 
that, yeah, have some dinners at some nice Argentinian steakhouses. Uh-huh. Please. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> love that. But, like, try some of these smaller cafes, too, and these bars. For because sure. that's where the history is. Um, and many of the owners are spending so much time and money restoring them to this like historical yeah and then they go through a process it's like applying to get the the title of notable and being added to that list Mm -hmm. um so the ministry of culture of the city uh is trying to encourage the locals to continue to use these these notable bars and cafes so for the first time this past october i thought this was pretty cool um, they held a night called, um, where is it? I wrote it down here somewhere. Oh, it was the first annual night of notable bars. And basically it was a whole planned event throughout the city of Buenos Aires from like 5 PM to midnight where there were like art events and singers oh, and dance competitions at like all of the 80 seven notable bars that's really cool to like highlight them and showcase them um and like all throughout all the neighborhoods and there were like themes Mm -hmm. and art shows and like famous chefs would come and do pop-ups in some of them and it was just like a whole big night it sounds really cool like i would love to do that it was super successful so i'm sure there'll be a second annual yeah notable bars but they're really trying to promote this idea in hopes that more people will want to buy these historic buildings and renovate them um to keep and preserve the history so during your next trip we hope you take a look out and visit some of these bars um and just know that every time you're entering one of them, they are special in some sense, even if it's not obvious at first glance. <laughs> um, okay, so some of my sources, I did a lot of Yelp reviewing. Okay. Because every article is in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me for mine, too. I found, like, two articles that weren't in Spanish, and I was like, damn. Uh, um, so I did, uh, an article written on a website called adam-david.me. It's our blog, mm-hmm. but, um, it's Buenos Aires Cafe Notables. Um, and he had the full list, which is how I could click through and like look and yeah. see which ones I wanted to include. Um, I think he's like a nomad living there okay. and like trying all of them. Yeah. He had lots of information, a lot of info from him. Um, I also went to all of the bars' individual websites and mm-hmm. tried to pull history if they had it available. Right. Some of them did not. Yeah. Um, then on suitcasemag.com, there was an article called Buenos Aires Historic Cafes that I read. And on wonderargentina.com, they had a whole write-up about um, La Poesia, which is that literary cafe mm-hmm. um, that I read and the restoration of that bar in particular. Very cool. So that's... Yeah, no, it makes me, like, want to visit Argentina and check out all these notable spots. Okay, so as I said during Laura's story, uh, I will be discussing an aperitif uh, that is actually pretty unknown outside of Argentina, but it had a pretty big historical impact there. Uh, so it's Esperedina. Again... Uh, Even though I am Hispanic, I don't speak Spanish, 
So when I say things with a Spanish accent, excuse my white girl accent because I have one. <laughs> so according to culturetrip.com, you'll find this mostly untouched beehive-shaped bottle in basically every bar in Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires. <laughs> However, be prepared to get an odd look if you order some because this once incredibly popular aperitif is now considered an old man's drink. So if you as like a young I'm person- I'm ordering it. <laughs> order it. People are gonna think you have some old fashioned taste. So the owner of a cocktail bar called Tres Manos. Three hands. Oh, I was like, wait, did you mention that bar? I don't think you did no. though. Sebastian Atinza. Uh, he says, my granddad used to drink it with soda. It was what all their generation drank. That's not the case anymore. So, if you want to be considered an old man. Well, I mean, I want to try it. I don't even know what it is, <laughs> I want to try it. Uh, so what is this one's popular, but now out of style aperitif? Um, Esperadina is made from bitter and sweet orange peels, which apparently have a high number of flavonoids. Uh, do not ask me what those are. I clicked on the Wikipedia link to find out what they were, and it is very science-y. Flavonoids. Flavon Flavonoids. Okay. But. But it has it. It has it, and they are apparently good for your health. And they give the esperidina an antioxidant effect, which of course means that many people believe the drink can heal all of your health issues. As they do. Yeah. As people believe. Uh, the drink is 26% ABV, uh, and it's going to be similar in style to a triple sec, though it is described as lighter and less sweet than a triple sec. Most typically, esperadina is served neat over ice or in a traditional cocktail with soda water and lemon juice. Is that what the cocktail was at the bar for your story? Yeah, that's what they were saying is yeah. mixing it with soda water. Yeah. Um, so the name of the cocktails take, taken from the Greek myth of Hesperides, uh, which was about nymphs of evening and golden light and the golden light of sunsets. So I'm guessing it's because of the color of the alcohol or the orange peels that that's, that's why that name was chosen. Um, so though Espedadina is an Argentinian aperitif, it was actually invented by an American immigrant. Uh, good old American, uh, named Melville. <laughs> he was like Melville. the nerd, nerdiest name. Melville Sewell Bagley. <laughs> that nerdiest <poor> name. Fortunate <laughs> soul. <laughs> so Bagley was born in 1838 in Maine, uh, and he lived in New Orleans where he worked in a dry goods store until 1861. Uh, but in 1861, he fled the U.S. to avoid conscription into the Union's military when the American Civil War began. So he didn't want to. He didn't want to be a fighter. Okay. He made his way to Buenos Aires, where he began to work at Farmacia La Estrella, which is apparently a grand marbled pharmacy in the district of San Tel Telmo. Didn't you mention that place too? Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's actually still open to this day. Still a pharmacy there. So as we know, uh, back in the day, there were, a, we've talked about it a lot of times, there are a lot of pansias, 
uh, or Cural health tonics and drinks. Um, so our friend Bagley decided that he was going to bring this trend to Argentina and make his very own digestive beverage. So apparently the bitter oranges were very abundant in Argentina uh, and many vendors would sell them and sell them as, you know, like juice them as a beverage. But Argentines were concerned about the disposal of all of the peels left over, which led to a prize being offered for someone to find a creative way to use them. And Bagley was like, I have a way. So he collected a lot of these peels and he used them in the creation of this cure-all cocktail or the aperitif. Um, and even though Bagley worked at a pharmacy, he decided to go out with his idea on his own. So he created his own guerrilla marketing campaign for it, which was like actually pretty genius for the time and kind of seems like something that someone might do today. So for, firstly, he established his own company, Bagley Argentina, and began manufacturing the drink. Then he hired a bunch of influencers. <laughs> <laughs> might as well have. Um, so what he did was he started paint, like going out at night and painting walls just with the word Esperadina or hanging posters that just said Esperadina, no information, just the name of the drink. He also took out banner ads in newspapers that said Esperadina is coming in all caps. Again, no information, just saying that it was coming. Uh, he did this for like three months prior to the drink's release. He also would go along the streets, I'm assuming where he wrote the name, and he would like pour a bottle of liquor onto the sidewalk so that people would walk by and like pick up the scent and be like, mm, what is that lovely orange scent? Um, so all of this seemed to work really well and newspapers started picking up the story. Uh, there was one newspaper editor in particular who wrote a column speculating on what this mysterious product was gonna be. Uh, and after the column came out, Bagley arranged for a cart of Esperadina to have a wheel come off in front of the newspaper headquarters and like spill out bottles of it. And so then this story of this cart was picked up by a ton of other newspapers uh, and spread the word even further. So that means like by the time it was actually released on December 24th of 1864, it already had a huge demand from bars, restaurants, people all being like, I want this cool thing that everyone is talking about. And it immediately became incredibly popular and successful, which is like genius. pretty genius. Yeah. Like for him to come up with that on his own, like, yeah. he, I mean, I guess he paid for the ads in the newspaper, but like just painting the word everywhere. Like it yeah. didn't really like very cost smart. a ton. Um, so people loved the drink for its taste and of course for its supposed healing properties. So Bagley wrote that Esperidina stimulates the stimulates and tones the nervous system, promotes healthy secretions of the body, and is a safe and pleasant remedy for dys dyspepsia, indigestion, constipation, colic diarrhea, di dysentery, chorosis, chorosis? I'm probably saying that wrong, and nervous attacks of the stomach. Oh, nervous attacks of the stomach, intestines, head, and heart. Uh, and it was not just the common Argent Argentine person that believed these claims. Uh, the Argentine government itself believes that Esperidana worked to, Esperidina worked to improve someone's health. 
Uh, they used the aperitif as an ailment for sick soldiers during America, South America's War of the Triple Alliance uh, from 1864 to 1870 to revitalize the wounded and even eventually ordered the military to drink one cup of esperidina a day as they fought in the war. So wow. When they you got that <laughs> deal going. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty lucrative deal. It sounds deal. to me like it just cleaned you out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're listening to all those things that it does, and I'm like, so it, like, cleanses the body. Yeah. I mean, it does have those flavonoids or whatever in it, so it does have some health benefit, but I don't know that it really cured all of these different things. It's like when I drink a ginger ale first. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I think it's a mind thing. Yeah. Um, of course, because the drink became so popular and people love to, you know, live off someone else's success and get money, imitators or bootleggers soon followed in Bagley's footsteps and began to create cheaper imitations of Esperadina. But he was not having it. He was like, fuck this noise. So the war was over in America and he reached out to contacts in the U.S. to create things for him, like an unforgeable label, uh, which was made at the New York Banknote Company, and to make the iconic barrel-shaped bottle to ward off competitors. So this is his uh, unforgeable label. It just oh. has, like, lettering on top of lettering and, like, right. like wishes things. and, like, background. And, we'll, I mean, obviously we'll post a picture and there's, like, a serial number and... There's a lot going on on the label yeah. to make it. Looks it looks like a dollar almost. It, like, it does almost look like a, like a, a type of money. Yeah. Um, but most notably, what he did in protection of his beverage is that Bagley also brought patent laws with him to Argentina from the U.S. They, at the time, did not exist in Argentina. Uh, so he, I guess through his power of having the government think his beverage was a cure-all, uh, requested an audience with Argentina with Argentina's then president Nicolas Avian Avian Avianeda. Mm -hmm. Yep, uh, and convinced him of the need to create a national register of trademarks and patents. So he presented the president with a copy of U.S. trademark laws. And soon, because of his persuasion, similar legislation was drafted and passed in Argentina. Uh, and Esperadina became Argentina's first ever registered trademark in 1876. That's awesome. Yeah. He then also quickly trademarked Esperadina's unique bottle shape. Uh, so not just the beverage, but also the shape of the bottle. Which is, like, kind of cool looking. I mean... You said it's like a barrel? Yeah. I don't know that I've, I feel like I might have seen things similarly shaped, but uh, it looks like this. Oh, yeah. It's got like ridges to kind of look like a barrel. Kind of looks like a beehive. Kind of. You're right. It kind of does look like a beehive. So, yes. So, he's the person that bought patent law to Argentina. That's awesome. Which is interesting. Yeah. So... During its most pop popular time, uh, which was in the early 50s, Argenti Argentines would drink 250,000 liters, which is 440,000 pints of Esperadina a month. 
Uh, again, it was most commonly drunk with soda or on ice. Uh, and it was very popular to drink at tango clubs, um, which makes sense because the place you were talking about is a tango club, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and it was so popular that a tango was actually written for the aperitif. So it was created by a French musician who performed under the name of Juan Nirvasad. Uh, and it was called Esperadina Tango de Moda. Uh, the song won a prize in the comp in a competition held in Sociedad Sportiva Argentina. Uh, and Esperadina is also mentioned in several books and stories and films. Again, all Argentine or Argentine books and movies, so ones that we probably wouldn't recognize. Uh, but it is very popular in, in popular culture. So... After Bagley's death uh, on July 14th, I don't know why I said that so cheerfully, after Bagley's death <laughs> on July 14th of 1880, his company remained in the family for more than a century. Then in 2004, Esperadina was purchased by national drink conglomerate Tres Blasonos, Blasones uh, before then it was purchased again by another corporation called Grupo Cepas. Um, that was in May of 2018. And they have big plans for the drink. They not only want to revive it, but they want to increase its presence and, you know, get more people to know it. So the director of sales and marketing for the company actually said, currently the challenge for national drinks with centuries-long histories, such as Esperadina, is to go out and conquer other countries. So hopefully soon it'll be yeah. more well-known. Get it here. Get I wonder here. if you go to like a Argentinian steakhouse here, in here, America. if they would have it. Yeah, I wonder. Should look it up. We should. Um, but I, yes, I think Argentinian steakhouses are a thing. Like Brazilian steakhouses, right. aren't they? Yeah, I've definitely been to Brazilian steakhouses. I feel like you're right that an Argentinian steakhouse is a thing. I don't think I made that up. Like I think I've heard that phrase before. Right. <laughs> No, it sounds right in my head. Yeah. But I um, wonder if they would have it. Yeah. I wonder if there's, like, really anywhere. Like, you know how sometimes there are, like, specialty liquor stores? Especially in, like, Manhattan or, like, you know, right. one of the big cities. I wonder if there's, like, a way to get it um, for sale. Let's see. In New York. On the fly research. On the fly research. No, it does not look like it. It doesn't look like you can buy it here. And if you can't buy it here, I feel like there's nowhere else in this <laughs> in like this country that right. you would be able to get it. Um Argentin Steakhouse. Curious if you're right. It sounds right to me, right? Yeah, yeah. There's one here on Northern Boulevard. We should go. We just go. ask. Because they might not have the original, but I wonder if they make a version. Right. Yeah. Have some kind of knockoff. Yeah. And so like this company that purchased Esperidina, bartenders in Buenos Aires are also trying to make the liquor come back into fashion. Uh, so at Tres Manos, which I talked about earlier, um, Esperidina is often used as a substitute for Contreras. Contral. Contral. 
I don't know why I always have a hard time saying that, Contrao in many cocktails. Um, one of the cocktails they'll typically make is whiskey, ginger ale, and espiridina, which sounds up your alley. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. And that makes sense, like the orangey, you know, flavor to add to like the whiskey, I feel like would be good, a good mix. Um, and they say that that actually brings the floral orange notes to the forefront. Uh, and again, the owner of the bar says that it's a, <laughs> after insulting it and saying it was an old man's drink, then says, it's a beautiful product. It has such an amazing history and is so versatile. As a bartender, I feel like I have a responsibility to show people what it can do. Well, and I think that's great. I think saying it's an old man's drink, it's the same thing as like ordering like a Roy Rogers. No one here right. orders a Roy Rogers anymore. Because there's so many other craft cocktails yeah. that are more popular today. Yeah, or like a white Russian. Like, my dad orders white Russians, but, like, I'm never going to go to a bar and order a white Russian. Right. But if you find ways to use these alcohols in newer craft cocktails... Right. Like, I could see you putting this into, like, a Manhattan, right? right? Because yeah. Because it would have those flavors... Or making just, like, a fun cocktail with it. Right. Like, they, like the whiskey, ginger, whiskey. Yeah. Like, I feel like it would be... And then, all of a sudden, there's new customers who have tried this new... Like, that... I don't know. I mean, I think that's just how it has to happen. It has yeah. to happen kind of organically. And I feel like it would be popular to use here in bars. You know? That's like, true. to ask... Yeah, I think it would... It would work really well. So hopefully they do figure out a way to kind of distribute it worldwide yeah. and and give it more of a known, you know, like name. a place. Yeah, yeah. Because it sounds like it would be good, and I want to try it. Yeah, I want to try it too. <laughs> so needless to say, we can add Argentina to <laughs> our future we'll, travels. We'll go to some notable bars. We'll go. What was the one that had that you were gonna say had uh, the cocktail? A bar to cow. Bar to cow. We'll get a great charcuterie board <laughs> and some uh, espedadina espid cocktail, and it'll be lovely. I mean, that's, that's one night. We, <laughs> we've already got our itinerary. <laughs> we just need, you know, a plane ticket. Yep. Um, so that was it. It was a little bit of a shorter one, but thought it was pretty cool, especially because that's the whole reason patent law even exists in Argentina. I, that's very cool. Yeah. Um, so like Laura said, a lot of the articles were in Spanish, so I was very limited. And I feel like that's probably what happens when we look at a lot of these countries is that like, we don't get some cool stories because of the language barrier. Um, so I did use some Wikipedia because there was a Wikipedia article on it and all the, usually I'll look at the links that Wikipedia, they were all in Spanish. So I was like, I'm using Wikipedia and taking it for what it is. But I also did find two articles uh, on a couple of websites that I've used a lot. So Vine Pear had an article uh, by Tim McCurdy called The Cult Liqueur That Fought in Argentine War and Changed South American Law. Uh, and then one on theculturetrip.com that was The Strange Story of Espedadina, Argentina's National Tipple uh, by Kieran Morris. That's very cool. Yeah. Okay, and now it is time for our cocktail of the week inspired by Argentina. Uh, and the cocktail that we picked is literally like, it was everywhere. Like that was like the only thing we could find that was like really unique and seemed to be like nationally loved. Uh, so 
Laura will tell you what it is. Okay. So it seems super simple, which I think is why you can probably order it everywhere in Argentina. And basically, it's a Fernet, Branca, and Coca-Cola. And that's it. Two ingredients. That's it. And you can order it everywhere. I guess you could make it at home as well, but... It seems to be very beloved across the entire country of Argentina. Um, and I think it's because of the the contrasting flavors between the Fernet Branca and the Coca-Cola. So, mm-hmm. like, Fernet Branca is very herby and dry and bitter. And then, obviously, Coca-Cola is more sweet mm-hmm. and vanilla, caramely flavors. So... They complement each other to have this, like, I think the article I read is it's like a velvety taste when mixed yeah. together. And it says it must be served ice cold. Which, like, makes, if you want, even just Coke, I just want a Coke ice cold. Like, I don't want a warm Coca-Cola. So that makes sense. Um, uh, but yes. And it's apparently, like, Everyone kind of drinks it, right? Like, it doesn't... It's all ages, genders. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a very popular go-to cocktail for catching up with friends or grabbing dinner or aperitif, digestif. Like, all these things. A Fernet, yeah. Blanca, and Coke. And it seems like it's supposed to have, like, a foam on top. So, like, this article from Vine Pear says that perfecting its velvety foam takes the kind of skill and experience normally attributed to those delivering picture-perfect pints of Guinness. So I guess it's supposed to just have this, like, really nice head of foam at the top. Yeah. And if you go to Argentina and you want to order it in Spanish, I believe it is a Fernet con Coca. Yes. Uh, so. But, yeah, it's, it's very simple, but apparently people love it. So. I would be a little hesitant because the Fernet, apparently this article says it has like a shock of black licorice and I don't love black licorice, but maybe the Coke would help balance it out. Right. I just think it has like an interesting combo. I would be down yeah. to try it. Yeah. I mean, I would absolutely try it. I just, I'm not sure if it'd be my jam or not, but maybe. I think we need to go to the liquor store and buy some Fernet Branca. <laughs> I always have Coke. You always have Coke. Yes. Easy to make. So we should do that. Yeah. But for those of you who want to try it, we will be posting the very simple recipe and a picture of the cocktail. And you can find us at. We're on Instagram at attack on the wrist. And then you can also uh, email us if you try it or any other cocktail ideas at tap on the wrist podcast at gmail.com. And until next week, cheers. cheers.